This is episode 109, Teletherapy with Deaf and Hard of Hearing Population. Hey, SLPs, Wine and Cheese listeners. If you love our podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps our podcast and helps us to stay on the airwaves. Also, be sure to check us out on Patreon, www.patreon.com backslash SLPs, Wine and Cheese. On Patreon, you could pledge to be a patron and you will have access to video content, exclusive interviews with Deb and some famous comedians, and even bonus episodes. So please be sure to check us out on Patreon.com. Thank you so very much for your support. We really appreciate it. Cheers. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of SLP's Wine and Cheese. I'm Maria. And Deb is not here today because she is very busy moving to her new apartment. So I'm going to hold down the fort. And as they say, the show must go on. So I hope everyone had a happy and healthy Thanksgiving. I heard some nice feedback from our listeners that they enjoyed our Thanksgiving episode and enjoyed listening to us share different recipes and how important gravy is. Ironically, there was no gravy at my Thanksgiving dinner, and I even brought it up. I was like, Mom, there's no gravy. And she was like, that's right, there isn't any gravy. So I think that upset Deb a little. I let her down there without having any gravy at all at my Thanksgiving dinner. But that's all right. We had cranberry sauce, so I replaced it with that. I want to give a shout out to Leanne Sherrod, who just pledged to be a patron. She's at the Brie level. Thank you so much, Leanne. Leanne was on one of our shows, episode 107, Caregiver Involvement, to be more specific, where she shared a lot of great tips and a lot of tips that were very applicable to your therapy, for instance, educating the parents. And I really liked how she said sometimes we might lose sight of a goal. And it's important to remind the parents or the caretakers or caregivers, hey, so we're going to work on this today. And why is this important, right? Uh, So for instance, we're going to work on using go and stop to stop this YouTube video that's highly motivating. And if a parent might say like, oh, they know how to do that. But you can say, well, we want to generalize it, right? It's different now because we want this skill to be a parent, not only in real life, but even teletherapy because that's how we're seeing these clients. So great shout out to Leanne Sherrod. Also, after the commercial break, we have an interview with Kimberly Sanza. And we talk all about teletherapy and working with the deaf and hard of hearing population. So I really enjoyed sitting and drinking and eating cheese and talking with Kimberly. And I think she did as well. We had a great time. And that's what I love about the SLP community. I have never met her face to face, but we instantly clicked and we had such a great time recording this episode and this interview. So I'm really looking forward to everyone's thoughts about it. And I don't have any students currently on my caseload. Actually, I have one student, I believe, one student who has a hearing impairment, but primarily my caseload is students on the autism spectrum. So I was very interested in hearing what her therapy looks like. So some impressions that I have learned from her interview, number one, I need to learn sign language. I guess it's 
should be a requisite or prerequisite to be an SLP. It's not, but I never took sign language and I kind of wish I did, but it just, you know, the class wasn't offered at the time. It didn't fit into my schedule, whatever the reason was. But it's never too late to learn. I just went on YouTube and learned a few signs. And now I want to incorporate those signs during my sessions via in-person and in teletherapy. So I'm going to incorporate it when I work on the core words. So stop, more, which that one I already know. Uh, yes and no. So just thinking about your therapy and what way can we help our clients. And sign language is a great way. And if anyone were to ask uh, someone on the care team, the individual's caretaker, even the client, oh, why are we learning this? And an important thing to say is, number one, it's an extra visual, but we're just adding another language. We're adding another element to help you to remember while helping you to access the information. That's definitely something we talked about in the episode so those were my three impressions to learn sign language, incorporate signs, and to tell clients or even myself that we're adding language. We're just adding, we're enhancing what we already are doing with using these signs. And many times in the past, I've had individuals tell me like, oh, if you teach them sign language, they're not going to talk. And that is a big myth and the research will show otherwise. So you can direct individuals to the research just let the research talk for itself and say how we're not impairing or impeding speech we are adding and we're making it more accessible to them and we just want to help our clients as much as possible so we're not hurting them by adding sign language that is the biggest takeaway I can give for this episode and uh, we can stop right now for a brief commercial break and we'll get right to the interview with Kimberly Sanza. This episode is brought to you by Smart Charts. Hey SLPs, are you sick of rewriting goals, trying to meet unrealistic time expectations and navigating new therapeutic territories? Smart Charts is here to help. We have taken the guesswork and time out of goal writing and documentation. With Smart Charts, you can create personalized intervention plans, IEPs, and POCs with our easy-to-use goal writing tool. Track and save session notes and data instantly for all documentation needs. Yep, for your school, health settings, and even to share with patients of all ages through graphs and fun pictures for the littles. We want to make 2020 a little bit better for you essential workers, and we are offering all Wine & Cheese listeners 30 days free and 50% off all new memberships forever. Yes, forever. Just use coupon code WINECHEESE2020. Be sure to check out mysmartcharts.com to get charting faster, better, and smarter. And now back to the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of SLP's Wine and Cheese. I'm Maria, and welcome our guest, Kimberly Sanza. Say hi, Kim. Hi. Hey, Kim, you are a fellow SLP and you have been working for over eight years, received your education from the University of Vermont and Gallaudet University. I've seen this university. It's a very fancy university, <laughs> but can you pronounce it for me, please? Sure. Gallaudet. Thank you. Gallaudet University. Yeah. Currently, you specialize in working with deaf and hard of hearing children. And you work at a school for the deaf and conduct the majority of your therapy in ASL. 
and you're also currently pursuing your doctorate in speech language pathology. Wow. Yeah. You are busy. <laughs> but before we get all into that, I definitely want to hear a lot more about deaf education and your doctorate program. But before that, we got to just have some wine. Oh, we look like we might have the same wine. <laughs> yes. So what kind of wine are you drinking? This is a Pinot Grigio, a 2018. And it's nice and smooth. I like my white wine. Yeah, I like all types of wine. <laughs> Red, Not white. <laughs> no. So you have a white wine, just like mm -hmm. I do. Mm -hmm. Mine is a Oyster Bay Marlboro, a Sauvignon Blanc. And this Ooh. is very dry, but I really like it. And it's from New Zealand. Oh. So nice. I'm going to take a sip. Let me taste it. <laughs> Kim is like, what did I get myself into on this show? <laughs> wow, this wine has like a nice kick. And I notice it's at the front of my tongue. And I always remember from our previous episodes that if it's in the front of the tongue, that's a lot of sugar. Oh. So I'm not bothered. Yeah, but I'm not bothered by this sweetness because it's dry. So it goes so well together. So definitely drink this wine. I oh. recommend this Oyster Bay. Let's see the bottle, yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's, you know, pretty basic looking bottle, but it's got like a little bay on the front. So look yeah. out for this. And at the bottom, it says New Zealand. Nice. What about your wine? What are the tastes? Do you taste just wine? I don't know. I don't think I'm very good at naming flavors of things <laughs> or like smells. I'm really not good at that. But it tastes, it tastes sweet and it tastes... Mm. She's going to take another sip. Keep sipping. Tart. Tart. See, How about that? Know, I like that. <laughs> I think you know what you mean. I mean, you just describe what you're tasting. Exactly. So drink this wine or sink it? I would drink it. Definitely drink it. All right. Mm -hmm. Virtual cheers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm in Brooklyn and you're joining us from Connecticut, right? Mm -hmm. So have you been living there your whole life? Yeah, I just went away for undergrad and grad and then came back. <laughs> nice. You missed home? Yeah. All I like right. the Northeast, you know. You're not, you don't want to escape the cold, though? That's... No, I love the cold. <laughs> what? You love the cold? My, my family is Canadian, so I think that I have some, you know, Canadian in my blood. Yes. Um, yeah, I just love the cold. And I went to the University of Vermont, which is like right on the Canadian border. <laughs> Um, I love, you know, skiing and just being like wrapped up in a blanket. It's just the best. I mean, now that you mention it, I do enjoy <laughs> that. Those two things being wrapped up in a blanket and skiing. So yeah. So maybe you do like the cold. I guess. I also forgot to mention I have a apple with some oh. goat cheese. Do you have a snack? Yes, I do. I have a cheddar of Vermont Cabot cheddar in wow. memoriam of my undergrad days. <laughs> A cheddar, that is mm -hmm. really good. Mm -hmm. And Vermont is known for their cheeses. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So you know so your good. stuff. You came here prepared. <laughs> I don't mess around. And it's very sharp. This is what someone pursuing their doctoral degree <laughs> looks like. They come They're prepared. Like, <laughs> they come prepared to the party. They're like, wine and cheese? I'm bringing the best type of cheese there is. And wine that is tart. 
So, so yeah, I'm going to just have a sip of wine and then I think we should get right into it because I can't wait to learn more about you. Cool. All right. So, Kim, you are very passionate about working with individuals who are deaf or hard of hearing. In fact, you founded Language First. Language First aims to educate and raise awareness about ASL, English, English bilingualism, and the importance of a strong first language foundation for deaf and hard of hearing. Yeah, that's my organization. <laughs> so how did you realize you had a passion in working with this population? Well, I grew up obsessed with languages. Uh, my whole family is trilingual, uh, French, English, and Italian. So from an early age, I was really into languages and like learning how they worked and just like linguistics and um, how they're the same and how they're different and how, you know, how you say things in one language versus another. So naturally, I was intrigued by a signed language, right? Because I was like, that's kind of cool. It's like a different modality of what I already know. So I started taking um, sign language at the University of Vermont. And then that just kind of led into, I mean, I knew I wanted to be a speech pathologist. So I was trying to think, okay, how could I marry these two things that I love? Um, and that kind of led me to, to deaf kids. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about your caseload. Yeah. So um, I work in a school for the deaf. Um, so my caseload is mainly um, deaf or hard of hearing children who did not get adequate language in the first five years of life. So we call that language deprivation. Um, so they're elementary school. So, you know, between six and 10, 11, 12 years old um, with really, really severe language deficits, because again, they weren't able to access language within that critical period. Um, so most of my caseload, I do language therapy in American Sign Language just to give them a language foundation that they, that they don't have. So you choose for that foundation to be ASL instead of verbal English. Yeah, because most of the students at that point um, are not able to access English through their ears or their devices. Um, so you have to give them language in another way. So we give it to them through their eyes. <laughs> ah, yeah. yeah. So when you mean devices, do you mean communication devices or hearing devices? Yeah, sorry. Um, hearing devices. So hearing aids and cochlear implants. Um, I think a lot of people assume that when a deaf child has a hearing aid or a cochlear implant or both or one of each um, that they can hear all of the language around them but oftentimes that's not the case um, so this is kind of what ends up happening right people assume they can hear all the language and they can't and so then by the time they're six seven eight and they have no language that people get worried <laughs> and so that's when you kind of have to um, provide them a language that they can access that makes a lot of sense also because if you think about children who are have to wear their hearing devices ideally they are worn a hundred percent of the time but are they if they're outside in the pool are they wearing their hearing devices exactly and yep. for them to be able to use ASL is something they'll always have access to they'll always have their hands on them and body language and facial expressions you just summarized my whole like point <laughs> So I guess we're done. <laughs> I guess mic drop. Well, I like how you like celebrated this with a, with some cheese. She was like, "Yep, she got it." I'm gonna eat my Vermont cheese. Nailed it. <laughs> well, 
I remember um, taking oral rehab in mm -hmm. grad school, and I've had a couple of students with hearing aids. I've never had a student who is deaf. However, you have a lot of experience. So as an SLP who doesn't really have much experience about this, but I have the knowledge. So can you tell us more something that you would like SLPs or even educators to know about individuals who are deaf or hard of hearing? Yeah, I would say two big things that I want every SLP, even if you only work with one deaf kid or one hard of hearing kid your whole career, <laughs> I want you to know two things. Number one, they're probably not hearing as much as you think they are. And number two, ASL is just as valid and important as English, even if you don't feel like they quote unquote need it, they probably would benefit from it. So I think those are two kind of huge take homes that we don't tend to think about in our fields. We think put hearing aids on them and they're good to go. They don't need this visual language. And I would um, encourage you to think about those two things a little differently. Wow, that was very yeah. well said. You seem very like you want you on SLPs to know that. Oh, yeah. She, yep. This so, is my crusade. Okay. She's just, in, I love that you're enjoying the cheese. You're, she's like, yep, more cheese for me. That's how I feel. <laughs> no, that's really great. Thank you for sharing that. So now with the pandemic, we've transitioned mm. to blended or fully remote. So how has this experience been for you and for your clients? Mm. It's been difficult, I think similar to you know everyone else um i would say the hardest thing is that my students i've noticed kind of anecdotally that my students who seem to need the language the most are the ones who whose families don't have wi-fi or they don't have devices to get on to the zoom or their parents are working and they can't log them onto zoom so they miss all their zoom sessions um they have to walk to the library to get the to the wi-fi um you know things like that where they're in situations where they don't have a lot of resources and so then they get sent home and they can't log on to access us um you know luckily my school we're a pretty small school and we're pretty supportive so we sent um, chromebooks out to everybody who didn't have one um, or who didn't have a device so that helped but still you know it seemed like the kids who needed it the most weren't able to get on which was unfortunate very unfortunate i know mm -hmm. i can relate to that experience as a slp and at the end of the day, we have to remember, too, that there's only so much we can control, too, right? We can text, e email, and mm -hmm. send notifications, and if they don't log on, they don't log on. And, you know, we'll just try again, right? Yeah, just and I, I think it's hard because we, as SLPs, we want to help people, and we, we want to, you know, do right by them. And so you feel guilty almost, like, how can I get them on? Is it my fault that they're not getting on? But sometimes it's just out of your control, you know, so... I would say every time is out of your control. <laughs> I, I try to live by this outlook that you can only control your own thoughts, feeling thoughts and feelings. And as a result, actions. So you try your best as the mm -hmm. professional and you reach out and you give other resources and, you know, and, yeah, track, I agree. and, and document everything. <laughs> exactly. I just keep documenting. Yep. Uh, so have you found any new strategies or technique to use during teletherapy for the students that do show up? Mm. Um, one thing that I really liked that I discovered when we all got sent home on like March 14th, um, it's called Flipgrid. And I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's a website no. where 
you as the teacher or speech therapist can post a discussion question and you can either film yourself. So for me, I would film myself signing the question because a lot of my kids have trouble writing. Um, so I give it to them in their accessible language and then they can respond with a video in ASL. So I like that because it really lets them access it and respond to it in their, in their language instead of in English. So that's been a cool tool. That's a really awesome tip. I'm going to include yeah. that in the show notes. Oh, great. I like that because they can also practice their, right? Like a technique, I'm assuming like their correct finger position yeah. and their correct grammar. And they're yeah. allowed, are they allowed to like, oops, I made a mistake and like re-record it? Yep. Oh, oh isn't that great? It's awesome. This is such a uh, great resource. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Have you had any other strategies or materials that you really like also? Um, boom cards. I think everybody's obsessed with boom cards. <laughs> so it's that. Yep. It's a boom card party. It's like, what can we find on here? I know. There's so many things. Yes. We have Boom Cards, SLPs, Wine and Cheese, just giving ourselves a little shout out there. We, you have an episode on Boom Cards? No, we have oh. a store. We have oh, a, really? Yeah, Help Me. I really like to use Help Me because that's so functional. Yeah. Um, yes, no questions because I love to work on yes, no questions, facial concepts, just some oh. stuff. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that out. Check that out. Hmm. Thank you. So how do you find that you motivate your students? Because that for me is huge. If they are required to log on and be and sit and focus and attend better be entertaining for them. Right? That's, yeah, exactly it. Um, one thing I noticed with my deaf kids, because we do our therapy in ASL, if they are distracted by something off screen, you know, they'll look off and then you can't get their attention back because they're looking away and you're just like flailing your arm trying to get hello. <laughs> um, so I wow. try, I have to try to keep their attention. That's the biggest thing, you know? Have you tried the different backgrounds or filters? No, actually I haven't tried different filters, but I've, I've used my puppies. I think that's helped. Oh, like, do you want to, uh, yeah, do you well. want to see my dogs? I just got a new puppy. <laughs> You got a new puppy? I want to yeah. see your new puppy. Well, I can't get him now because he's going to bark. So. No worries. <laughs> but he's very cute. But yeah, I try to, it's hard. You have to try to plan things that are so new and exciting and keep their attention and make sure that, you know, it's interesting and intriguing to them. Um, so I use like a lot of GIFs or GIFs. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Um, YouTube videos, um, YouTube videos that have no language in them, like those wordless Pixar um, movies, those shorts. Um, yeah, just trying to keep, keep it fun and exciting. It's really hard. That's a, like, a nice idea with the Pixar because that you can also do like inferencing, yeah. sequencing, yeah. And there's, no, yeah, and there's no language in there. So you can just let them say how, whatever they want to say. It's awesome. Or, or, and sign. Oh, yeah. So do you work on, like, let's say if they sign something and then like they put their finger the wrong way, do you go back and just like redo it? Like, I don't know. What does that look like? I'm, I'm very love curious. That, that is such an, that is such an intelligent question. You know why? Most why? people don't realize that there's articulation in sign language too. And that's exactly what you're mentioning. Like if you don't articulate the sign correctly, then you can be unintelligible just like you can in English. So yeah, um, I work on that and I actually have been um, 
working with one of the OTs at work to kind of figure out what it is about their motor skills that's making it hard for them to produce this particular sign and then how that impacts their intelligibility in ASL. Um, so yeah, I love that you asked that. Um, so some of it is kind of articulation, but most of it I would say is just like your typical language therapy. Like you said, WH questions, yes, no questions. Um, grammar in ASL, the same way we work on grammar in English, um, all that, all that good stuff. Wow. Yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. I thought of it just because of, as a motor speech, yeah. you know, now it's like, OT, exactly. Right? Yeah. Fine exactly. motor, fine mm -hmm. motors and speech is already fine motor. So yeah. Look at that. Yep. So interesting. <laughs> yes. So you've seen some students transition, transition to high school and adulthood. Do you see any like skills that you're very proud that they mastered or do you all also see things like, oh, like pragmatically, this is still an issue or just curious because I'd like to see how my students have matured and then they're in high school and I'm like, you know, oh, this one still uses the ASL sign for drink. Yes. You know, yeah. that's great. Yeah. So I wonder if you have moments like that. Yeah. Um, I think some of my students definitely get to a point where they can use language functionally um, and can, you know, go out into the real world and, and be, you know, members of society. And I'm so proud of that, you know, given the fact that you don't Cheers have language from, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, you don't have language from birth to five or you have very limited language input from birth to five and you can succeed in that way is, is so exciting. Um, but I definitely still see a lot of deficits that are really just because they didn't have that language input in the critical period. And because you can't go back in time and give it to them, you know, you just have to kind of give them the strategies to compensate for them. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, there are still a lot of students in high school and afterwards that have a, a lot of language deficits, even in ASL, right? Like their ASL is not, is not perfect either. Um, right. So all that to say, give I, these kids language from birth to five. <laughs> yes, she's gonna come after you. I'm just kidding. So you are clearly very passionate about this population. So can you tell us more about your doctorate program? Yeah, sure. Um, so I am in an SLPD program. So it's a mm -hmm. clinical doctorate. Um, it's at Rocky Mountain University of Health Professionals. So it's out of Utah, but it's fully online, which is great now during the pandemic. Um, but what I like about it is that it really focuses on the clinical side of things. And even though we do research, it's research that's tied to your clinical practice. So it's not just um, research in a lab that would never, like, how do we apply that to what we do, right? It's very much focused on what kids do you work with? What do you want to know about them? What do you want to do to figure that out? Um, and then you, you build your research project from there. So it's perfect for me because there's still so much research that needs to be done on deaf kids and language deprivation and how to mitigate those effects and how to treat them. So that's what I'm doing my, my research on. That sounds excellent. Yeah. It's very exciting. And you can apply it to your job and then everything you learn at your job, you could apply to your yep. research. Exactly. That's why I love it. Makes a lot of sense. I know. <laughs> Sometimes I'm reading like for class, you know, I'm like reading my textbooks and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is all stuff I can literally apply tomorrow. Right. Awesome. 
So can you give us some uh, a little a little tidbit of your research, tip? or <laughs> is it is it like classified? You know, don't I don't want you to get in trouble or anything. Whatever you're allowed to tell us, tell us. I will tell you that my plan is to um, do a study on my students. So I'll do probably five of my students with language deprivation um, and look at how I can improve their syntax in ASL. So one of the hallmarks of language deprivation is that they struggle with syntax. Mm -hmm. So even in ASL, they struggle to produce SVO, like very simple sentence structure. So what I want to look at is what intervention can I provide them that would allow them to understand and produce that sentence structure. So hopefully find something that works. <laughs> I'm sure you will. You have, <laughs> you have a lot of resources at your hand, right? You're in your toolbox. Yeah. And don't underestimate the power of uh, bribery, you know, like, come on, kids, I will turn on my filter, I will get the puppies, we can go underwater together, you know. Do what you got to do. Do what you got to do. You can do this. So if someone listening wanted to get more into the field of deaf and hard of hearing education, what advice would you give them? Mm. Um, honestly, the, my number one advice is to just try to learn some ASL okay. because it's really hard to work with a population when you don't know the language that they can access. Like I mentioned, even having hearing aids and cochlear implants, oftentimes they don't hear a lot or most of the language around them. And so I would just really encourage you to at least try to learn some ASL. Agree. I know more. Yeah. <laughs> More. What else do you know? Uh, is this all done or did I just make that up? You made that up. <laughs> like, that's like dusting, dusting stuff off my hands. Like, I'm all done. <laughs> I just ate a lot of chips. Yeah, exactly. It's all the crumbs. No, I'm sorry. How do you, how do we do? Oh, well, yeah, this is a podcast. So it's like you kind of flip your hands. We'll have to post more videos. That's true. We'll have to describe it. It's like you're flicking your hands kind of. Yes. Flicking your hands as opposed to rubbing crumbs off of them like I did. That is not my best there. So do you have um, any tips or tricks you would like to share? I mean, I know you did give us flip grip and the Pixar, mm. but any specific tips or tricks we like to mention is something you can go and try tomorrow and something that maybe you don't have to necessarily buy or go crazy. Just a little, just a little tweak, a little tip or trick you could add mm -hmm. to your therapy. The one that I had thought of was um, to try not to talk and sign at the same time. Wow. Because I think a lot of people think that it's helping if you talk and sign at, simultaneously at the exact same time, um, but it's actually not helping. <laughs> and it's better if you just use other strategies like sandwiching. So you sign first and then you talk it exactly what you said and then you sign it again or vice versa. Um, or if you use other bilingual strategies like doing an entire activity in ASL and then doing your next activity in English as opposed to trying to do it all at the exact same time. Um, I did not know that, okay. Oh, good, I'm glad that that was, okay. <laughs> Great. Like, I don't know if that's a good one, but. but I think it, it's a good one. It's something okay. someone can apply. Yeah. So if someone, let's say they don't work with a child with sign, maybe they could like translate that to like, maybe focus at one skill at one time. Yes, exactly. So that's essentially what your advice is. Focus yep, like on that. one skill at one time. Mm -hmm. 
I like that. And it's also easier for you. And like, you have more like mental clarity and I yeah. an easier way to take data. Exactly. Yep. You're just focusing on one skill at a time. So I'm going to piggy, but this is what I like to do. I like to piggyback off of your tip. And I'm going to say to continue to use visuals. So even if someone can't like find a visual right now, like have a piece of scrap paper in front of you and just draw a little visual for a child. Even if it's like a happy face, like, oh, look what I just drew. So if whatever skill you're working on, add it with a visual and don't go crazy about visuals. It could just be paper and a pen and hold it yep. up to the screen. I love that because all of us use visuals, all of us, even people who have normal hearing, we all rely on visuals. And so there's this, um, this kind of pervasive thought that with deaf kids, you have to take away the visuals to really make them work on their hearing. I'm doing air quotes right now. Um, <laughs> and like cover your mouth or look away and make sure they can't see your face. But like you said, why? You need, the visuals are so helpful. Give them all the visuals. Give them all the visuals. I, I like your mentality. Thank you. Yes. Do you have a quote to end us with? Hmm. I had to look it up because yeah, no worries. I always think of it in my head, but I'm not sure exactly how she worded it. It's by Maya Angelou. And she says, people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And I think about that a lot with my kids. They may forget that I like taught them this specific thing or I told them to do this specific thing, but they will always remember that Kim made her session so fun and I always loved working with her and she made me feel so good about myself. Oh, I love that. I got goosebumps. Aww. It's so true. You don't know what impact you have in someone's life. And even, you know, to you, you're like, it's my job. I got to do this, you know, but to them, it can mean so much. And you know, you could be the reason that that person, you know, got excited to get out of bed this morning. Yeah. Or put a, you put a smile on their face in a tough day. So I like that quote a lot. Thanks. So, anyway, Kim, it's been a pleasure. Good yeah. night. Thank you so much.